Alright, so. Good afternoon, everybody. It is 3 p.m. Eastern Time on a dot. Friday, March 4th, 2022. Chad Xavier Harris here. Chad Xavier Films. Chad Xavier Trades. Pimp my trades. Pimp my brokerage. Pimp my stocks. That's the brand name we're going to go with. Because that whole concept of pimp my party kind of thing came from Isaiah and myself like in 2012, 10 years ago. So finally having a real use for it now. The whole pimp my, the whole concept of pimping something. And now it's like we're going to pimp brokerage, you know? Because it was going to be like pimp my event. It's like pimp my brokerage event. So we're about to check our trades now. We threw more money on there. Because the other trades are crashed. We threw more money on there. I'm looking at Jason's brokerage account right now. I threw in $1.99 into a trade for McDonald's. A bear trade, red trade, selling it down, short selling it down. Open price of 2 dollars Closing price two hundred and forty one dollars thirty cents. Eighty two percent payout, forty five minute trade. Open time of zero seven, closing time of fifty two. Three three dollars and sixty two cent profit made it. Thank God. So we're only trading based on the eight fifteen second chart. You know, fifteen second one minute. 15 second is under the cloud. The one minute under the cloud. The last trade to close was to sell. It's 3 o'clock. Fifteen minute is under the cloud. But it's a green candle in the fifteen minute. One minute candle is green, but it's under the cloud. Five second is transitioning through the cloud. About to pass a cloud. Five second is above the cloud. Like above the entire cloud, like the green line and the orange line. It's like above it, so it's like, just go ahead and buy that. For a dollar, we're gonna buy it up. For a dollar, we're gonna buy it up for 45 minutes. For a dollar, we're gonna buy it up for an hour, 45 minutes. $1.62 and then for a dollar I'm gonna buy that for two hours $1.62 gonna do it for 
two hours. So we have a 43 minute trade, a 45 minute trade, one hour trade, and a one hour trade, two one hour trades, and with actually an hour and 43 minutes. Put a dollar on the line on one and a dollar 62 on the line on the other. So that's a $2.48 profit on the one sixty-two and a dollar sixty-two. That's 53%. The other two are 55%. $1 on the line, $1.55 times two plus two forty-eight. That's 55% twice plus 53% of a dollar and a dollar sixty-two. So now I have to check the um, the Amazon trades because I pretty much hedge like in, in my account in my mom's account I went in Amazon like I sell and then um, on my client's account Curious I went in on a buy so and then on Jason's I did a sell but on McDonald's. Just didn't even do Amazon at all. So my work and my mom's work, my client can't have to replace that money in my damn. Okay, so fucked up, but he should just stuck with my guns, right? And just did what I did on my mom's and myself. Just you know, on the first two accounts, do that on the third one, then the fourth. Just really follow through, you know. And the fact that you had, you know, it's all good. So even if on Jason's you went in on Amazon on the sell would have been good if you went in on the hedge or on Amazon no like you know This is crazy.
machine, instead of shortening the workday, they downsize. You lose your job. So you have a right to fear machine. No effort, no work, no job, no savings of money.
Society today is composed of a series of institutions, from political institutions, legal institutions, religious institutions, to institutions of social class, familial values, and occupational specialization. It is obvious the profound influence these traditionalized structures have in shaping our understandings and perspectives. Yet, of all the social institutions we are born into, directed by, and conditioned upon, there seems to be no system as taken for granted and misunderstood as the monetary system. Taking on nearly religious proportions, the established monetary institution exists as one of the most unquestioned forms of faith there is. How money is created, the policies by which it is governed, and how it truly affects society are unregistered interests of the great majority of the population.
years ago, the Central Bank of the United States, the Federal Reserve, produced a document entitled Modern Money Mechanics. This publication detailed the institutionalized practice of money creation as utilized by the Federal Reserve and the web of global commercial banks it supports. On the opening page, the document states its objective. The purpose of this booklet is to describe the basic process of money creation in a fractional reserve banking system. It then proceeds to describe this fractional reserve process through various banking terminology, a translation of which goes something like this. The United States government decides it needs some money, so it calls up the Federal Reserve and requests, say, $10 billion. The Fed replies, saying, sure, we'll buy $10 billion in government bonds from you. So the government takes some pieces of paper, paints some official-looking designs on them, and calls them treasury bonds. Then it puts a value on these bonds to the sum of $10 billion and sends them over to the Fed. In turn, the people at the Fed draw up a bunch of impressive pieces of paper themselves, only this time calling them Federal Reserve Notes, also designating a value of $10 billion to the set. The Fed then takes these notes and trades them for the bonds. Once this exchange is complete, the government then takes the $10 billion in Federal Reserve Notes and deposits it into a bank account. And upon this deposit, the paper notes officially become legal tender money, adding $10 billion to the U.S. money supply. And there it is. $10 billion in new money has been created. Of course, this example is a generalization, for, in reality, this transaction would occur electronically, with no paper used at all. In fact, only 3% of the U.S. money supply exists in physical currency. The other 97% essentially exists in computers alone. Now, government bonds are, by design, instruments of debt. And when the Fed purchases these bonds, with money essentially created out of thin air, the government is actually promising to pay back that money to the Fed. In other words, the money was created out of debt. This mind-numbing paradox of how money or value can be created out of debt or liability will become more clear as we further this exercise. So, the exchange has been made and now $10 billion sits in a commercial bank account. Here's where it gets really interesting. For as based on the fractional reserve practice, that $10 billion deposit instantly becomes part of the bank's reserves, just as all deposits do. And regarding reserve requirements, as stated in Modern Money Mechanics, a bank must maintain legally required reserves equal to a prescribed percentage of its deposits. It then quantifies this by stating, under current regulations, the reserve requirement against most transaction accounts is 10%. This means that with a $10 billion deposit, 10% or 1% is held as the required reserve, while the other $9 billion is considered an excessive reserve and can be used as the basis for new loans. Now, it is logical to assume that this $9 billion is literally coming out of the existing $10 billion deposit. However, this is actually not the case. What really happens is that the $9 billion is simply created out of thin air on top of the existing $10 billion deposit. This is how the money supply is expanded. As stated in Modern Money Mechanics, of course they, the banks, do not really pay out loans from the money they receive as deposits. If they did this, no additional money would be created. What they do when they make loans is to accept promissory notes, loan contracts, 
in exchange for credits, money, to the borrower's transaction accounts. In other words, the $9 billion can be created out of nothing simply because there is a demand for such a loan and that there is a $10 billion deposit to satisfy the reserve requirements. Now, let's assume that somebody walks into this bank and borrows the newly available $9 billion. They will then most likely take that money and deposit it into their own bank account. The process then repeats, for that deposit becomes part of the bank's reserves. 10% is isolated, and in turn 90% of the $9 billion, or $8.1 billion, is now available as newly created money for more loans. And, of course, that $8.1 can be loaned out and redeposited, creating an additional $7.2 billion to $6.5 billion to $5.9 billion, etc. This deposit money creation loan cycle can technically go on to infinity. The average mathematical result is that about $90 billion can be created on top of the original $10 billion. In other words, for every deposit that ever occurs in the banking system, about nine times that amount can be created out of thin air. Money jitters. Ask the obliging Bank of America for a jar of soothing instant money. M-O-N-E-Y. In the form of a convenient personal loan. So, now that we understand how money is created by this fractional reserve banking system, a logical yet elusive question might come to mind. What is actually giving this newly created money value? The answer? The money that already exists. The new money essentially steals value from the existing money supply. For the total pool of money is being increased irrespective to demand for goods and services. And as supply and demand finds equilibrium, right? Some food just doesn't work at work. But Easy Cater just does. Prices rise, diminishing the purchasing power of each individual dollar. This is generally referred to as inflation, and inflation is essentially a hidden tax on the public. What is the advice that you generally get? And that is, inflate the currency. They don't say debase the currency. They don't say devalue the currency. They don't say cheat the people who are saved. They say lower the interest rates. The real deception is when we distort the value of money. When we create money out of thin air, we have no savings, yet there's so-called capital. So my question boils down to this. How in the world can we expect to solve the problems of inflation, that is, the increase in the supply of money, with more inflation? Of course, it can't. The fractional reserve system of monetary expansion is inherently inflationary. For the act of expanding the money supply without there being a proportional expansion of goods and services in the economy will always debase a currency. In fact, a quick glance at the historical values of the U.S. dollar versus the money supply reflects this point definitively, for the inverse relationship is obvious. One dollar in 1913 required $21.60 in 2007 to match value. That is a 96% devaluation since the Federal Reserve came into existence. Now, if this reality of inherent and perpetual inflation seems absurd and economically self-defeating, hold that thought, for absurdity is an understatement in regard to how our financial system really operates. For in our financial system, 
money is debt. And debt is money. Here is a chart of the U.S. money supply from 1950 to 2006. Here is a chart of the U.S. national debt for the same period. How interesting it is that the trends are virtually the same. For the more money there is, the more debt there is. The more debt there is, the more money there is. To put it a different way, every single dollar in your wallet is owed to somebody by somebody. For remember, the only way the money can come into existence is from loans. Therefore, if everyone in the country were able to pay off all debts, including the government, there would not be one dollar in circulation. national debt was completely paid off was in 1835 after President Andrew Jackson shut down the central bank that preceded the Federal Reserve. In fact, Jackson's entire political platform essentially revolved around his commitment to shut down the central bank, stating at one point, the bold efforts the present bank has made to control the government are but premonitions of the fate that awaits the American people should they be deluded into a perpetuation of this institution or the establishment of another like it. Unfortunately, his message was short-lived, and the international bankers succeeded to install another central bank in 1913, the Federal Reserve. And as long as this institution exists, perpetual debt is guaranteed. So far, we have discussed the reality that money is created out of debt through loans. These loans are based on a bank's reserves, and reserves are derived from deposits. And through this fractional reserve system, any one deposit can create nine times its original value, in turn debasing the existing money supply, raising prices in society. And since all this money is created out of debt and circulated randomly through commerce, People become detached from their original debt, and a disequilibrium exists where people are forced to compete for labor in order to pull enough money out of the money supply to cover their costs of living. As dysfunctional and backwards as all of this might seem, there is still one thing we have omitted from this equation. And it is this element of the structure which reveals the truly fraudulent nature of the system itself. The application of interest. When the government borrows money from the Fed, or when a person borrows money from a bank, it almost always has to be paid back with accrued interest. In other words, almost every single dollar that exists must be eventually returned to a bank with interest paid as well. But if all money is borrowed from the central bank and is expanded by commercial banks through loans, only what would be referred to as the principal is being created in the money supply. So then, where is the money to cover all of the interest that is charged? Nowhere. It doesn't exist. The ramifications of this are staggering, for the amount of money owed back to the banks will always exceed the amount of money that is available in circulation. This is why inflation is a constant in the economy. For new money is always needed to help cover the perpetual deficit built into the system, caused by the need to pay the interest. What this also means is that mathematically, defaults and bankruptcy are literally built into the system 
and there will always be poor pockets of society that get the short end of the stick. An analogy would be a game of musical chairs, for once the music stops, somebody is left out to dry. And that's the point. It invariably transfers true wealth from the individual to the banks. For if you are unable to pay for your mortgage, they will take your property. This is particularly enraging when you realize that not only is such a default inevitable due to the fractional reserve practice, but also because of the fact that the money that the bank loaned to you didn't even legally exist in the first place. In 1969, there was a Minnesota court case involving a man named Jerome Daly, who was challenging the foreclosure of his home by the bank, which provided the loan to purchase it. His argument was that the mortgage contract required both parties, being he and the bank, each put up a legitimate form of property for the exchange. In legal language, this is called consideration. Mr. Daly explained that the money was, in fact, not the property of the bank, for it was created 